hello and welcome to the Stage Free Podcast. I'm Chuck Perryman. I'm here with our artistic director, Mike Feely. How you doing, Mike? Hey, Chuck. Hey, everybody. We're here today with a special guest, Jake Sheps, who I consider to be a truly extraordinary banjo player and one of the most open-minded and fearless musicians that I know. His banjo work transcends style and genre and ranges from traditional bluegrass to the music of Bela Bartok to contemporary classical compositions and even Brazilian choro music. And uh, Jake is also dedicated to sharing his passion for pushing the boundaries of banjo playing and expanding the repertoire of the bluegrass ensemble and is the founder of Round Window Radio, uh, now the Round Window Press, correct? And uh, the Banjo Summit and the Modern Mandolin Workshop. And if you can tell that I'm excited, I am, because <laughs> I'm thrilled to be talking to Jake today. So how are you doing today, Jake? Great. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for that amazing introduction. Yeah. Did I miss anything? You're a busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> that covered a lot of it. We're here to talk to Jake today because on uh, Friday, June 3rd, uh, next month, Stage Free is performing a piece by the composer Mark Mellitz called Flatiron which is for Bluegrass String Band. And this is a piece that Jake commissioned and recorded. The concert features a mix of traditional bluegrass music as well as this piece. And we hope you'll check out stagefree.org for more information and to get a ticket. Jake is here to tell us more about this piece, Flat Iron, and also his 2015 record, Entwined. Entwined featured a number of contemporary composed works uh, that he commissioned for Five Street five-piece bluegrass string band, which for those of us who don't know, is a fiddle, mandolin, banjo, guitar, and bass, which is mostly known for playing traditional bluegrass music. And so Jake, I guess my first question is, could you tell us a little bit more about Entwined and what made you want to record an album of composed music for bluegrass band? Sure. Uh, so the kind of the, the full thread was, I did a record of all music by Bela Bartok. And uh, some people know that Bartok was one of the world's first ethnomusicologists and traveled around collecting folk tunes. And the idea behind that was I was really curious what a classical composer would do to folk music as a folk musician. I didn't really grow up. I, I was born in Texas and grew up in Maine. I don't come from bluegrass, but I, I came to banjo and at about 20 years old, but really like came you know, discovered banjo through bluegrass and was curious and fiddle tunes and that folk related music. And so after exploring uh, Bartok's kind of advanced or modern harmonic treatments of those fiddle tunes, I thought it'd be interesting to see what a living composer might do with this, with the five piece, the kind of traditional five piece string band, bluegrass string band. So that was, that was the kind of germ. And I also um, right around that time discovered the music of Mark Mellitz in a piece he did called Tight Sweater, which is um, piano, cello, and I think violin. Mm. And it's just, it kind of sounds like bluegrass. It's min like he's, it's, it has a minimalist vibe. It's super grooving. And in some ways, bluegrass is kind of minimalist. Like a lot of the same things going on and there's one key, you just play all in G. So it was, it, yeah, it was really fun discovering Mellet's music that, that's amazing. I actually didn't realize that he was kind of the genesis of all this. So how did you stumble upon his his music? I had uh, a subscription to emusic.com, if anybody remembers this. You, um, I don't. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of those things that uh, lost to the ages, but you would pay a subscription fee every month, 10, 15 bucks a month. I can't remember now. But 
you had a certain amount, you got a whole bunch of credits to, to burn that you had to use kind of mm -hmm. by the end of the month. They didn't collect up. And so I was just downloading tons and tons of music. And, you know, it just, whatever their algorithm was, it pops up. And if you if you end up, you know, it's worth Googling Mark Mellitz, M-E-L-L-I-T-S, a tight sweater. The cover of the album is of a woman in a tight sweater. So it's a fairly provocative <laughs> to be classical music, as well as it has part, like some of the names of the movements are like mechanically separated chicken parts, right, like some right. crazy names. And so like, what is this? I didn't know much about that music up till that point. So yeah, that's awesome. Wow. Well, we're lucky that you stumbled upon it. And so from Mellitz, you also selected, was it three or four other composers? It was three other album? composers. Um, mm -hmm. One was a guy named Matt McBain, Mm -hmm. who's really kind of in the um there's a record label which i think still exists called new amsterdam and he was deep into new amsterdam records and um he was writing i, didn't, I actually didn't really quite realize how hard difficult the music was that he was writing but he wrote for essentially a band it was like drums and bass and violin and piano and cello i think so it really sounded like a band and i was attracted to that and so he wrote a five move or a, i think a five movement piece for us and then the other classical composer is a, a guitarist named Gian Riley, mm -hmm. who is Terry Riley's son and just right. a virtuoso guitarist, incredible composer. And then um, I wanted somebody from the inside to kind of, and my dear friend and, and mentor and longtime collaborator named Matt Flinner, who is an mm -hmm. avid composer himself. I asked him to write, write something for the project as well. Yeah. And so what I'm getting from this is all those composers to me seem like their music is very rhythmic and very minimalist sort of driven. Was that something that kind of appealed to you about their music? Yeah. I mean, Matt Flinner is just, he's a beautiful composer and, um, you know, and in all honesty, like the core, he, he, he leads a trio called the Matt Flinner trio. And mm -hmm. that's really the core band of that plays on the entwined album. And so part of it was to keep them engaged and, um, and those guys, they're, yeah, they're just wonderful musicians. And so to keep them engaged in some way and kind of draw it home. And so I don't know. I don't think of Matt as necessarily a minimalist composer, but um, I think of Mets, Mellitz as a, a little more old school. I mean, I, I don't want him to hear this and think <laughs> that in a bad way, but he was really like a Steve Reich disciple. Yeah. And yeah. and I think of McBain as kind of like taking that information as well as many, many other components and um one of the movements the actual title track of entwined one of the movements is an additive is a, is additive music which was new to mm. me kind of adding one note at a time right, and so right. many other elements that maybe Mellitz and and reich ex explored in some ways but i think that uh mcbain had a broader palette yeah something that's really compelling of about a lot of the music on the on the album is is that sort of crossover sound right we can talk about minimalism but there's something that's kind of inherently bluegrass aesthetic and i think part of that comes from the timbre of the ensemble but I, I wonder if you talk to any of these composers especially the ones that might not have been as familiar with the how to write for bluegrass or, or as you know have, whether they have bluegrass in their blood kind of thing did you talk to them about style or what's idiomatic for the for the for the group yeah i mean i sent them i sent them all sorts of samples of music and i think in general um there are some pieces that that um that move kind of in tempo like a little more rubato 
sections, but like, you know, truly kind of free playing, like it's just, it's not our, it's, it, it's not our home base. And I'm, I'm inherently more attracted to stuff that has a little more drive. And so, yeah, we talked, we talked quite a bit about that. I sent him lots of samples of music and kind of tried to explain how parts intersect in the instruments. Did the collaborative aspect of this kind of stop there where you were just kind of gave them examples and then you got what you got or was it more permeable like they would send you stuff and you would respond to it um i mean in many ways composers are control freaks like that's you don't you don't say (laughs) (laughs) and so they very much had a vision there were some things that i kind of you know i humbly rewrote for I didn't rewrite for Mellitz, but I would say, hey, this line, there's one movement that's a guitar is playing a line. I'm like, this would be really cool on banjo and the guitar should do what I'm doing. You know, but Mark really had a vision for, you know, no, 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 this is how it's supposed to sound. And so really the notes were the notes. And I think as we got in and played some things and and worked on it and workshopped it, things would move around a little bit. I think maybe Matt Flinner's the most. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, and Guillaume probably the least. He just sent the piece and said, "Okay, here, here you are." I think that's one thing we forget when we go to composer school is like the musicians matter too, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of to that end, I, I kind of want to ask a question that's a little more in the weeds, maybe. Um, but when classical or classically trained composers write for folk instruments or for instruments that are used to improvising there's all it's often over composed right so i were a lot of these pieces i don't want i don't mean that in a pejorative way but like sure. the notes on the page and that's all you get to do or, or is there a lot of improvisatory uh, are there a lot of improvisatory sections of these pieces i think as we play like the banjo as you might imagine was the most unfamiliar for all of these composers except for matt who's and matt flinner is a great banjo player in and of himself and so he he really wrote and he would have sections of like just roll through this you know where i could kind of improvise back up in certain keys banjo being the most unfamiliar and then mandolin being second of all it's it's one thing to say it's tuned just like a violin but you don't want to write for it just like a violin because it can do all these other things it can play those lines as well as it has this an entirely other language and so it varied it varied immensely from you know kind of movement to movement and composer to composer of like what what happened if you the opening the opening movement of Flatiron is um sorry i'm drawing a blank on the title of that movement um oh uh you probably have it at hand here it is right here. <laughs> how fortuitous is that uh tension, tension hoop right how ten- could i forget <laughs> tension hoop like all of those violin chops are improvised by Enyan, the fiddler Mm-hmm. And I think I sent him a live recording at some point to Mark Mellitz. And he's like, that's not how it goes. I'm like, no, 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 it was <laughs> improvised. Yeah. And that his piece has a good, I don't know the score of the other pieces, but that one at least has a mixture of, of things that are written out and, and, and improvised sections for sure. Did you get all the parts for the pieces in standard notation, or was there any like throw me a bone, give me some tab? I stuff? Uh, um, <laughs> I tabbed everything. Like part of it was yeah, I tab I put everything into tab. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm trying to think if Matt wrote things out in tablature. I have Sibelius. You know, there's the two main notation programs are Sibelius and Finale, mm-hmm. and 
um, I know Mellitz worked in Sibelius, so it was really easy. We could go back and forth. But oh, yeah. you know how I how I fingered things was really up to me. And then with Matt Flinner being such a great banjo player, he definitely had some ideas. But um, the Guion Riley piece, Stumble Smooth, came in. I mean, I spent hours and hours refingering it and trying mm-hmm. to trying to be able to play it. For those that are not a um, not aware for banjo banjo is a challenging instrument to sight read notation on in general because there's lots of ways to kind of finger things and we play you know there's five strings and you play with three three picks on your right hand and so really a lot of it comes down to how you finger things with the right hand that will kind of sound smooth and that in a way that kind of translate well on the instrument and so that's where it becomes challenging there are a handful of movements i think there's two slower movements that i just played out of standard notation because mm-hmm. i can read but it's pretty slow and anything that i really had to be either looking at the fingerboard i would you know i would either memorize or like put into tablature which is a kind of numerical system so i know right. where i'm playing and so once you got to the recording process uh did the composers have any input over that? They did. Um, Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So the sequence of events was um, we would, I would kind of commission the piece and work with the composer over time and then have a premiere. And we did a premiere in December of, I think, 2011 was the Mellets piece. And Mark came out, I you know, flew Mark out for the premiere. We did it in Boulder, Colorado. Mark came out for the premiere. And then the next day, I think it was the very next day. We may have taken the day off, but I think the very next day went in the studio and we spent three days in the studio. And I think two of those were the mark. And ah. so he was there kind of, and, and then um, repeated the exact same thing a year later with Matt McBain for drawn, I think about three or four months later with, with migrations. And I, and I brought Guion in for those shows. Guion opened our show and, uh, and then he was, we never performed Stumble Smooth, but he was there for the recording process and kind of conduct the opening, the opening segment of Stumble Smooth is in 15-8. And it's this kind of long accelerando. <laughs> it's, it's an insane thing, but Guion composed, or sorry, conducted that in the studio, which I wish I had a yeah. video of. It was really, really fun. So that would be worth a watch. Um, yeah, that's great. I want, I do wonder, cause I, I've been listening to the, recording versus the score and there are some some differences they're not major but i've noticed like some of the banjo parts are down an octave from where they're composed i think there's a bass line uh, like the bass has some finger or thumb position stuff that's like either up or down an octave depending on what recording you're listening to and then i've noticed some like banjo solos were kind of put into the recording as well so there are those little differences at least with that piece yeah i think i vaguely remember it has been about almost 10 years since we recorded the Mellitz piece. And I think I remember, you know, it's just kind of Eric struggling to get it in tune up an octave. What market he'd be like, Oh, bring it down an octave. Like there were just some things that were moved around. And, and for banjo, there are some things that are just really hard to play an octave up as, yeah. as sounding. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. Our, our bass player was like, I could play it up there. But I don't think you want me to play it up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like a fantastic recording. Mm, um, thanks. It's really lovely, really well engineered too. I've noticed the there was a lot of care put into the put into the tone of the ensemble too. Like it's just a very nice full full sound. I we think. recorded it in three different rooms, like each mm-hmm. composer. Like that, just over time, it ended up, but with the same engineer who um, mm-hmm. tracked it and mixed it, and 
the uh, the composers were involved in mixing as well. I would get notes from them and a lot of, you know, as we edited it together, um, get a lot of notes from them. That's such a cool and rare opportunity for a composer too, because I think, at least from my experience has been, you write a piece, it gets played, you get like a recording from the room, but you never get a chance to really get a nice edited, polished, you know, recording like that. Do you know if these pieces have been uh, performed by other ensembles? Because it's it's so hard. I know from experience, it's so hard to get people together right. to do this. To, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I know that Matt McBain, um, he was he was really excited to perform it himself on playing violin for it. And so he did it. He runs a festival in Southern California and they played Drawn. And then I think that uh, Mark found an ensemble in Chicago to play Flatiron. What would you say is distinct about Flatiron versus the the other pieces on the album? Um, I mean, I think number like he's Mark is a is a miniaturist, which mm -hmm. I think I read this in his bio later on. But uh, you know, there's eight movements, and some of them are incredibly short, including I think my favorite movement is F hole. Yes, which, that one's the best. I love it's that. It's so beautiful. Like yeah, and it's so. I mean, the idea behind the album was really to like get new sounds out of the string band. Like so much mm -hmm. terrain has been covered by um, over the decades that people have played string band music. And especially these days with bands like Punch Brothers and Bela Fleck out there with his bluegrass projects, it's like so much terrain. And here was something that was like, I mean, Ethel and the idea I wanted to get. And I think that we did hit some stuff on the album overall, but Ethel is like one minute of, holy smokes this what is this and uh it's so beautiful it's just one of those pieces that y you just want more of yeah you know uh, and you're right like i feel like things are just that's how the whole piece is to me too is just it ends and you're like i want to hear that six more times yeah. you know because it was so beautiful um are there any i guess this is a little bit of a selfish question since i'm learning it at the moment but are there any particularly difficult or challenging spots in that piece that you remember um i think one of the challenging things is is uh so the banjo is t traditionally tuned in open g mm -hmm. and so the, there's a little short string it's g and then the low string is d g b d and the opening movement you tune the banjo the lowest string from d down to c sharp which just like if you hit that open, it sounds terrible. <laughs> like it's not a great, it's a very dissonant sound. And so I think just kind of caution around that of accidentally hitting it open. I actually would start the shows when we would play tension hoop and say like, okay, we're ready. And I'd strum like, am I in tune? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. hit that as a, <laughs> hit that as a joke. But um, the, and additionally like that, because of that tuning it it requires some kind of funky stretches and some right hand things that are a little more challenging so as i remember tension hoop and then the final movement is kind of a burner that we spent quite a bit of time oh my uh, gosh yeah doing together it's tough it it's like the individual parts of it are not super hard it's just the putting it together is going to be a, quite the challenge i think yeah um, and so kind of along those lines, did you, I, I'm assuming that you were kind of the one leading the rehearsals and coaching it. I don't know if that's true or not, so feel free to correct me, but did you get a recording, like a mock-up recording to listen to, to kind of learn it, or did you just get the score? We just, we just got the score. I mean, we had, <laughs> Sibel we had Sibelius parts, so you mm -hmm. can play it back in the, 
in the program, like a kind ah, of yeah. MIDI style recording, but nothing that you could play with. Um, no, we just just had to kind of put it together from scratch. Anything else you should you think our listeners should know about the piece or about the album? Um, I th- I think we kind of covered it. I mean, I'm I'm totally proud of the album and had visions, and it's just. I think the challenges with it, like um, like you were saying, like it sounds like at once sounds like bluegrass, yet it's it covers this new ground and it's not. And kind of walking that line between the cracks, I be, I've always believed and continue to believe there's such high artistic merit in that. Like it's beautiful. The string band, those five instruments sound so great together. And my challenge in kind of continuing on with it or just, you know, it requires a lot of... Um, stamina to continue to forge forward with this thing that's that bluegrass people think is too hard to listen to and classical music think sounds like a bluegrass band yeah and so like it's between those cracks and like that's exactly what it is and that's what's beautiful about it but it's exactly what makes it hard to book at bluegrass festivals or classical festivals yeah so um, I had been talking to some other composers, and hopefully someday that will come to come to pass. But mm-hmm. at this point, I haven't. There's no further commissions. That yeah. Are in your conversations, or as you've been talking to other composers, having had the experience now of putting this album together and working on all these new pieces, what kind of advice would you have for composers who are interested in writing for an ensemble like this but may not have the bluegrass background? Uh, or may, may not feel confident writing for a mandolin or, or banjo or something. I think having a banjo in hand would be <laughs> would be is is helpful, but it's not everything. Like it's it's actually real. It's surprisingly hard to write compelling music. I, I don't want to say that's not compelling, but compelling parts like equivalent parts. Like I mean, I will say like the most compelling voice on Flatiron is the violin. And Mark is far and away the most comfortable writing for violin. And that's apparent. And you know, the parts are interesting on Flatiron, but there were there are some times it's like, well, you know, I could, there's a whole bunch more I could do. And I found that with, um, same, there's some segments in Matt McBain's piece, like it all works, but like, oh, this is a pretty elementary backward forward role that... Mm-hmm that well to play this in ensemble is really challenging and my uh, i guess i also wanted to say my intention and what i told all the composers was to write stuff that's not virtuosic there are you know because i mentioned punch brothers before those guys write a lot of stuff beautiful stuff for string band that nobody can play but them and right. Right. you know or very few i mean i shouldn't say nobody there are other people who are working on that music but very very few and there's so much repertoire out there for string quartets that, that is not virtuosic, like Mozart mm-hmm. string quartets. You can, you can certainly you can play them virtuosically, and it's you know when Emerson string quartet plays Mozart, it's amazing. But you can also be in a high school level string quartet and play that music, and so that's kind of what I was shooting for. Of like this music uh-huh. would be playable by, and um, like finding that balance for banjo is challenging and just say like, yeah. Oh, this is, this would be more instru- interesting. And, and, you know, somebody needs to write a book of like how to write for five string banjo. Sure. <laughs> so do you have sort of a util- utilitarian vision of what these pieces might mean in the future? 
like a way for bluegrass bands to get into uh, into that space and that maybe there's an opportunity for composers to write music to help bridge that gap um i think i think so and hope so and that was you know i think i kind of added to the you know i I put a brick in the wall so to speak if that's the right if that's the right expression (laughs) (laughs) for that but like you know to to kind of build it up but like music like this you know even within classical music it you know the stuff that's written by Mark Mellitz and Matt McBain like has a pretty, it's not very, I mean, as wonderful composers they are, and they should be household names there. It's, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on and that stuff has never been mainstream and probably never will be. And so stuff like this, um, I think it would have a long tail, not, but it will, I don't know if it will ever uh, kind of, be put on stage at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival next to the Steep Cannon Rangers, for example, yeah. being a high-powered bluegrass band with drums. Yeah. What you said about uh, the piece not being that hard, when I was looking into it, I had this mental block of like, I'm really dreading practicing that. But then I finally I finally got into it and I was like, oh, I can actually kind of do this. Like, it's going to be okay, you know? So that part um, of, of kind of writing to that achievable level, I think was definitely accomplished in this piece, so. And I also, I love rehearsing and kind of mm-hmm. collaborating with other folks. And so I also like practicing, but like the idea of stuff that's not that hard, but we would spend a lot of time in rehearsal, like the ensemble part is exciting to me. And so that's, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah I would agree. It kind of, they the composer succeeded in that regard. Yeah, definitely. And succeeded in writing a beautiful piece pieces too um so jake before we let you go um can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days what you're doing with round window and banjo summit stuff sure um i i founded a nonprofit about three years ago and have been doing uh advanced banjo camps essentially like advanced progressive banjo camps we did them in person for a couple years and then and chuck has been there um to i think did you go to all three in person no, I wish. I went to the first two. Okay. And then I think like the schedule changed where they were like within three or four months of each other or something and it just didn't work out. Uh, but I've been to a couple of the online ones as well. And so then in pandemic, we moved it online and kind of mm-hmm. and found, um, kind of stumbled on what seems like a pretty successful model of online camp. And Definitely. so um, we ran a... Uh, and, you know, not I'll just name drop a little bit. Like we had Bela Fleck as our special guest for the like in person. It would be essentially impossible to get Bela to come in person like he's so busy and just it's just not the way it worked. But in the pandemic, everybody's home. And so we were lucky enough to have Bela for just an open ended Q&A for and for 90 minutes, which was mm-hmm. really phenomenal. And <laughs> We limited it, no offense to the students, but we did mostly limit it to instructors, the faculty asking yeah. questions. <laughs> and the idea the idea behind that, which I really like, is that you know somebody asking about like, hey, Bela, how do you get good timing? Mm-hmm. Just to kind of, somebody who Bela doesn't know from the audience, he's gonna give his stock answer. Somebody who Bela knows and has flawless timing asks that question of Bela, he's going to give a, a little more pointed answer yeah. You know, we cover kind of a little more interesting deep terrain. So, yeah, um, we had Bela, we had Noam Pekildi. We've had all of my musical heroes. It's really been incredible. We did a mandolin camp under the mm-hmm. same 
same model and we ran a, a one-off camp with one of my favorite bands called Hocktail, which is a kind of, it's most, it's really, it's super interesting. I'm not sure how to describe it. It's the bass player from Punch Brothers who we've mentioned and this virtuosic kind of old-time fiddler named Brittany Haas and then they have a mandolin and guitar and it's very fiddle-driven music but it's all original and just beautiful ensemble playing and the bass player is a genius and the camp was camp was incredible so we we've ran a handful of on, online camps we'll continue to do that and we just recently launched the what's called the round window press and that's doing banjo transcriptions and we released our first book was by Wes Corbett who's a really fantastic banjo player and we're currently working on I actually had a meeting this morning with my my partner in this um, Bela Flex My Bluegrass Heart which was a ah. bluegrass album that he released in September of last year and Ooh. so it's going to so be awesome there's 19 tunes on the album it's going to be a it might be a 180 page book like it's a mammoth oh mammoth project and yeah. um some other thing you know we have some it's just we're doing mostly original music will be on the press and not lots of and I don't want to say it will never be traditional music but as of now it's a lot of original and more progressive mm -hmm. progressive are you doing stuff. an additional volume of Adam Larrabee's solo correct pieces? Adam okay. Larrabee who is my partner in this project mm -hmm. and one of my uh, dear friend and musical heroes he's just an incredible musician he plays in a band called Love Cannon, which is an 80s cover band, but string band. He plays banjo, mm -hmm. but but they don't play like, um, they, it's not just bluegrassy covers of 80s tunes. They'll take some Duran Duran tune and work out all the parts. Like, so, you know, the drum hits are hit by the dobro and the fiddle's going to take this guitar solo. And like, it's all worked, like, it's incredible. And um, Adam is working on a project. I mean, once again, this kind of comes back to, not unrelated to entwined it's solo banjo pieces written to be through composed written to be played by yourself mm -hmm. um and and so he's writing 24 preludes and just like bach did and all major and minor keys as far as he knows and we know like it's all in standard g tuning and we think it's the first of its kind it's always hard to say if somebody hasn't written this and put it in some music library somewhere but um, it's being recorded by it was commissioned and being recorded by a great banjo player named John Bullard mm -hmm. and um, so at, we're going to re-release there was book one was the first six we're going to re-release that on Brown Window Press and book two will be coming out hopefully this year well that's great and then uh, what are you doing these days on the banjo um, I have been I recently relocated to Vermont I was in Colorado for about 30 years and I, I've been in Vermont for the pandemic. And so, um, so I've been running these online camps of the book project. I've, there's a lot of kind of pickup bluegrass here, which has been really fun. I've got cool. um, my friend, Matt Flinner, who I mentioned, he lives here in Vermont too. I've been oh, doing a, nice. um, a lot of gigs with him, but just straight up bluegrass. Cool. And um, the things that are in the works for me recording wise, you know, recording albums is, is kind of in a funny place now with mm -hmm. Spotify. Like, you know, you don't, yeah. I don't, I don't have, I'm not buying CDs. I don't really know anybody who is, but I have a couple EPs that are brewing. One of which is, is, is Quebecois music. There's this great fiddle tradition from Quebec. And I've learned, I don't know, a half dozen tunes and they lay out just beautifully on banjo. Like cool. the, at least the ones I've learned there's, 
And uh, so I'd love to get together. There's this great band called Jantacorum. I have not approached them yet, but my hope <laughs> is to like find a bunch of repertoire and kind of record either with all or part of Jantacorum of these kind of fiddle tunes. And, awesome. Um, and then secondarily, I have a deep love, which Chuck, you mentioned in the beginning, I have a deep love of Brazilian Choro music, which is this mandolin driven music from the early 20th century, which continues to, from Rio de Janeiro and Brazil. And uh, it's it's totally compelling. It's it's like Afro-Cuban rhythm or not, you know, just kind of African rhythms, samba rhythms meets European classical form meets jazz harmony meets these like super noty fiddle tunes but written in this way that fiddles wouldn't necessarily write it's really exciting fun music that's worth checking out some of the music banjo is not a traditional instrument in that music but uh some of the tunes lay out pretty well and um i've endeavored to write a handful for banjo you know now that i've kind of learned 20 or 30 of these pieces i have a little bit of a hand handle on some of the conventions and so i'm writing i have maybe three or four tunes and then three or four tunes i mean i could go like i would record that for the rest of my yeah. life i love it but my hope is yeah. to do a is a shore album at some point Brazilian awesome I, I definitely have heard you play them live at the banjo summit a couple times and it was blown away it was such such cool stuff Thank and you. something we don't we don't stumble across uh around here so well great well we're looking forward to all that and and thank you so much for your time today and thank you i want to thank you personally for the parts you played in creating all this music because it's been it's meant a lot to me uh to learn it and and to hopefully great give a great performance later on um so thanks so much for being here and it's great to talk to you yeah thanks so much for having me and thanks for the yeah. kind words and thanks for keeping this music alive because and yeah. uh and it's just a treat to get to revisit it and kind of talk about it because it was you know it's a project near and dear to my heart and um, yeah and so thank you thanks for having me thank you great to talk to you yeah, and thanks for listening to the Stage Free Podcast. We hope we'll see you on Friday, June 3rd for this incredible concert. Head to stagefree.org today to reserve your spot, and we will see you soon. <laughs>